Welcome to the Faith Bridge Servants Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by founding pastor Ken Werlein and was recorded on Sunday, May 28, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faithbridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Ken. All right, so uh, take your Bibles and let's go to Acts in chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and the ushers are passing out some Bibles, and if you need one, you just uh, wave at them. They'll be glad to spot you one of those. While you're turning to Acts chapter 9, I'll tell you, it was about a year ago I got a new car, and one of the features that I most enjoy about that car is this little gauge that allows you to know exactly how many miles you can go before you run out of gas. Now, I realize cars have been having that thing for about a decade, but I don't get new cars very often. I drive them a long time, so just humor me. I've been enjoying this new gizmo, and I've actually learned how far below zero I can get it to where I'm about three blocks uh, more before I run out, and that's when I pull up into the driveway and trade cars with somebody else. No, not really. (laughs) I fill up my own tank. But I guess I was thinking about the fuel tank because it occurs to me that, metaphorically speaking, every single one of us has a fuel tank. It's 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 in your spirit. It's in your... Uh, inner being. And you can, you can kind of read the gauge of a person's fuel tank by looking in their eyes. In some, you see a sparkle. You see life. Others are just sort of glazed over. You can see it. You can see their, gaze, uh, their gauge by sort of looking at their, uh, their posture and their gait. Some people are walking with purpose and they're standing tall and confidently and others are sort of slumping along as they trudge through life. But you and I have fuel tanks. And there's people who fill your tanks. They breathe life into you. They give you hope. They encourage you. They remind you how good God is. They cheer you on. As if they're kind of up in the balcony as your fans. They're great, those balcony people. As cheering cheering you on filling up your tank. But then there's others on the other side of the coin. If you're not looking, they stick a hose in your tank and they start siphoning the fuel out. Uh, They're not the fillers, they're the drainers. They squash dreams, they find faults, they cause your spirit to wither. I guess you could say they're kind of like basement people because they pull you down. And we're called to love them because Christ loves them and we're called to at the same time though we kind of have to guard our hearts from those people the basement people graduates I bet every single one of you could name a teacher or two a friend or two a parent or two who are drainers basement people in your lives but I bet you each as well could name a teacher or two a friend or two a parent or two who are balcony people who fill your tank up. And the reason I'm starting here is because today we're going to look at one of the quintessential balcony people in all of the New Testament. Now, in case you're coming in a little late, we're in a journey this whole year, 2023, working through the book of 
Acts, written by Luke. And a couple of weeks ago, we just passed through chapter 9, where we've been introduced to a character who was terribly evil, who was terribly wicked, who was out to kill all the Christians because he thought it was a dangerous cult, and he was called Saul. And after he's exterminated uh, Jerusalem of the Christians, he's headed up to Damascus, where he's heard that some other Christians had scampered off, and so he's headed up to go kill the Christians up in Damascus. But that's where God gets a hold of him and shines the light of his glory upon him, and he's blinded and falls to the ground, and he's like, it's so confused, and he's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. And this leads to one of the most monumental conversions in all of history. You have this man, Saul, who was a zealot out to eliminate all the Christians, and in a matter of less than a week, he has become a Christian. And he's going to go into all the world with zeal for Christ. And in the years uh, to come, he'll emerge really as the most influential of Christians, no longer going by Saul, but having a new name to match his new heart. And we'll know him as the Apostle Paul. But you can't come with that kind of background. You can't bring that kind of baggage and expect that everybody's just going to go for it like that. And so he has a problem. He has a problem, and that is the, the Christians back in Jerusalem, they're not hearing it. They're like, yeah, right. We do not believe he's really converted. We don't believe he's really one of us. This is all just a ruse. It's a joke. He's just trying to weasel his way into our circle, and then he's going to kill us all. You couldn't blame them for supposing it's much. But let's just see what happens. In Acts chapter 9, 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and how the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. When others withdrew in fear, Barnabas reached out in faith and friendship. He vetted Paul, put his arm around him, and became a sponsor and helped usher him in to the circle of faith. You know, I think that's salient to you all who are graduating because when we come to new places in life, places spiritually, places physically where we move, it becomes a natural thing for us to, to ask, well, how, how, do I, how do I break into, how do I get into this circle? I know I felt that way when uh, I headed off to my first semester at Vanderbilt University. And v Vanderbilt is no Christian university like Samford or, or Baylor or even A&M. So it was such a huge Christian population and breakaway and everything. So I'm trying to figure out at Vandy, who's, who, where's my people? Where's, where's the Christians? So on the first Sunday, I, I walked to this church that was on the edge of the campus. I sat there and I was like, that's all right. And then the next Sunday, I went to a different church. And, but I'm kind of just doing it on my own because I figured, well, Lord, you're going to have to lead me. And then one day, there was this guy named Jim. He was a junior 
confident, athletic, uh, outgoing, big heart for the Lord. Definitely a balcony kind of person. And he said, hey, Kim, I'm starting this Bible study in my fraternity house with some of the guys who are freshmen like you. Would you like to come? And I said, yeah. And so about six or seven or eight of us would cram into his room and he would make these little worksheets with about 10 or 12 questions and they had little fill in the blanks and, and little Bible verses we were supposed to look up and, and sort of fill in. And then he would talk through each of the questions for us and he'd tell us illustrations from his own life, just being two years older and things that he had learned from the Lord that we might want to consider applying into our own lives. And, and then I remember we got to the lesson where he, he passed out the deal. To this. He said, this evening, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? And some of us are like, uh, I don't think so. And he says, well, we have different gifts. Some of us are leaders. Some of us are teachers. Some of us are administrators. Some of us are evangelists. And on and on and on. And he gave us this inventory. And he says, I want you to take this inventory. And we took the inventory, sort of like we did in February uh, here at Faith Bridge, and, and, and we talk about our spiritual gifts, and he said, now I want you to go around the circle, guys, and I want each of you to tell me, what are you going to be doing this summer? What's your summer job? And how are you going to be able to use your gift in that summer job? Every last one of us said, we don't have a job. We got nothing. And he said, gentlemen, get down on your knees. We're going to pray. And so we got down and, and we started praying, Lord, would you give us each jobs? Because we need to use our spiritual gifts. We didn't know about them until about 20 minutes ago. But we need, to, we need to use our gifts. Would you believe? Two nights later, the phone rings. And there's a youth pastor at a church in Houston who I'd only met a couple of times. It wasn't even my home church. But we'd cross paths. And he says, do you have a summer job? And I said, no, actually, I don't. He says, I've just had you on my mind lately, and I'm thinking, would you want to come and be a youth intern at our church? I said, I'm just praying about this the other night, and so I think maybe that's my answer. The answer is yes, I'll, I will do that. And he says, okay, we got about 100 youth, and uh, I think you're going to really take right to it, and you're going to like it, and I did. It was a great summer. And several of the kids trusted in Christ, and I taught a Bible study to the junior high and a Bible study to the senior high and took them to the Schlitterbahn and did some retreats and put together a music group. I mean, it was really, it was a great summer. And one night I was walking to my car the last week of that summer, and I was just thinking how fun. I was just like, God, I have never had more fun. And it was in that moment I felt like the still small voice of the Holy Spirit said, and that's because you've been doing exactly what I've made you to do. You're going to keep doing ministry. Now, you have to understand, I didn't go to college thinking I was going to be a pastor. That was nowhere even on my radar screen. But God knew and was orchestrating um, what was going on. Now, let's go back through that progression. A guy named Jim invited me to a Bible study which led to my first job working in a church where God helped me realize this is what you've made, I've made you to do. And then some years later, that same still small voice of the Holy Spirit would say, I want you to start a new church. And that church would be this church, Faith Bridge, where all of us sit today. And all of that goes back to something that happened to me in college because a guy who you've never heard of named Jim 
said, I'll be your Barnabas. Young men and women, moms and dads, you need to be praying, God, bring me a Barnabas. Bring me a Barnabas who will bring me closer to you. First, the four things that I want you to, to, to notice here today is encouragers are intentional about inviting folks who wouldn't otherwise be in the circle. And what I want you to realize is you need a Barnabas here on the front end, but it won't take long before God's going to say, now I want you to be a Barnabas because there'll be others coming along behind you and they'll need your invitation to come in as well. If, that, if you need a vision, there's a vision for you. Be a Barnabas. He was that kind of guy. And we know he was that kind of guy Barnabas was uh, because his real name wasn't even Barnabas. His real name was Joseph. And we first met him, those of us who've been in here taking a journey through Acts, we first met him uh, s- several months ago back in chapter 4 because he did something interesting. He had a field and he went and he sold that field and made good money. He comes to church the next Sunday and lays all those uh, funds at the feet of the apostles. And everybody's like, what? That is a lot of money you just gave. Why'd you do that? He's like, because I don't know. I'm just so excited about what God's doing in our midst and lives are being changed. And, and I figured there's this lady who, she's got some financial needs and he's got some financial needs and maybe we could help them to meet those needs. And, and, and I just want to keep this thing going and I've got it to give and I, I want to meet this need. And it was that day they named him Barnabas because Barnabas wasn't his name. His real name was Joseph. But Barnabas means the son of encouragement. And whenever you called somebody the son of something, it was saying, you're a lot of this. You're a lot of encouragement, Barnabas. That's what they were saying. And that's when they named him uh, Barnabas, <clears throat> when he was fabulously generous. Now, graduates, when you talk about generosity, I know what goes through your mind. You're like, I'm 18. I don't have much. I don't, I don't have thousands of dollars to give. I don't even have hundreds of dollars to give. I realize that. But even just uh, this past week, I was texting with uh, uh, Ben Stewart, who used to lead our breakaway ministry at uh, uh, College Station. And, and he was reminding me the Shalom Project is a week every year where a breakaway the young men and women who are students, they pool their resources. Some give five bucks, some give 10, some give 75, some give 100. They pool them together and on average raise in one week between 150,000 and a quarter of a million dollars to rescue victims, women and children who would otherwise be trafficked as slaves. Now, here's the reality. That's happening Every single year with students just like you, who some of whom have part-time jobs like you will have, and that's where they get a little money, and they give some of it. And some of them bum some money off of mom and dad, like some of you will, and they give some of that generously as well. But the point is, nobody can do everything, but if everybody will do something, good things can start to happen through your generosity. I remember learning that uh, as a freshman as well. There was another guy, he was older, he was a senior. His name was Gardner, 
and he was in the fraternity that I would end up, end up pledging. And <clears throat> Garner and I became friends, and he was just brilliant. He was a literature expert, and he read everything under the sun, and he used all these big words that I, I was like, I don't even know what that means. But I was playing along, and I was like, that guy is, is, is fun, and he's funny. He had a great sense of humor and a big ready laugh. And, and one day we were in the library, and he said, do you want to get some lunch? And I said, yeah, actually. He says, yeah, I don't want to go on campus. Let's, let's go off campus. And I said, okay. So we got in his car, and we went to a restaurant. Two things happened at that lunch that I'll never forget. The first thing, when the food came, he looked at me and he said, I'll pray for us. And he lowers his head and he starts to pray. Now, you have to understand, I grew up in a Christian home. So praying before meals, there's nothing exceptional about that. We prayed in our family before every meal and even before snacks. That was just normal. But I'd never been out to eat with a friend who just so confidently and naturally just started praying. And I remember thinking while he was praying, God, I want to become more like him. Help me become more like him. Second thing that happened at that lunch I never forgot is when the, uh, when the lady brought our checks, she said, she said two, two checks are one. And I started to say two. And he says, one, I'll take it. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I got it. Now, again, I'd eaten out at plenty of restaurants. But whenever I'd eaten restaurants, Somebody else was paying, and that somebody was usually my dad or my mom or my friend's dad or my friend's mom. And, and so here's a guy who just confidently was like, I got it. I'll take care of this. Again, I thought to myself, I got to keep spending time with you, not just for the reasons that you might think, but <laughs> because I, I was so intrigued. It's like, man, you're prayerful. You're generous, and generosity is not something quickly forgotten. That's the second thing I want you to see. Encouragers meet needs that need to be met. You, graduates, you're going to be able to meet people's needs. I want you to be looking for those opportunities. Don't wait till you're old. You can start now. Barnabas disappears for a while, but then he reappears in Acts chapter uh, 11 in the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was an interesting place. We'll get to that in our study in a couple of weeks. I think Scott Pollock is going to lead us through that section. But Antioch is a place where Gentiles are now starting to come to Christ. What's a Gentile? A Gentile was a non-Jew. Christianity starts among the Jewish people, like Jesus was Jewish, and they're converting and, but then up in Antioch, the, the Gentiles are starting to trust in Christ. They're starting to get converted. The Jewish people back in Jerusalem are like, can this be legit? Do they even know? Do Gentiles get it? Do they understand what Christianity really is about? Look at what happened in Acts chapter 11. They sent somebody to spy it out. And they chose the right guy. Acts eleven twenty two. When the church of Jerusalem had heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was filled with joy. And he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Now, I ask you, what did he see? He's there to spy out what's going on. Barnabas, are you finding mature Christians? No. 
Are they understanding the gospel fully? Not even remotely, Barnabas is saying. They're spiritual babies. They're new people in the Lord. They, they're goofing up. They make mistakes. They're making messes and, 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 and botching it all up. But instead of focusing on what they weren't yet, did you see what it said he focused on? Look at verse 23. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God at work. He saw God's grace working in them. That filled him with joy. And what did he do? He encouraged them. You guys stay with it. You're kind of making a mess of it. But you're going to get this. You're going to learn what it means to follow after Christ. And that's what encouragers do. They see what we could be, even when we're kind of clumsy at it. And they call us to be more and better. Though I don't remember a whole lot about college classes. It's been a while. I never have forgotten one class. It was a speech communications class. Sounded interesting to me. And um, the, 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 uh, the professor was Dr. Cassian Kowalczyk. And Dr. Kowalczyk was uh, international and spoke with a bit of an accent. And, and, um, and it, was, it was a challenging class because every other week we had to write a new speech. And uh, with a compelling introduction and, and clear points and a uh, good conclusion and the, and the whole thing. And, uh, and on the alternating weeks when we would give the speeches, um, you didn't know if he was going to call you on Tuesday or Thursday. So you always had to be ready on Tuesday. It's Monday night. I'm working in the library. I'm trying to get this speech to come together. It's not coming together. I'm frustrated. It's kind of locking me up. I'm panicking. I'm like, I can't do it. I need more time. Why did I sign up for this class? It was so dumb of me, and, it, and I'm no good at this sort of thing. Knowing that Dr. Kowalczyk often worked late in the evenings, um, I swallowed my pride, and I walked out of the library, and I walked down a long sidewalk to that limestone building, saw his light up on the third floor, Climbed up those stairs, walked up and knocked on his door. He spun his chair around and he said, Mr. Werlein, seeing me probably looking panic and, and, and pale as a sheet, um, he said, come in. He said, what, what brings you here? I said, Dr. Kowalczyk, I can't do it. I don't know what I'm going to say. It's not coming together. I'm not ready to give a speech tomorrow. I need more time. He's like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Take a breath. Just relax, Mr. Werlein. Tell me, what are you going to talk to us about tomorrow? I said, well, my subject is this. He says, I like your subject. He said, what do you, what do you, what do you got so far? I said, well, I was thinking I would, I would start by saying this, and then I was thinking maybe I would say this, and, and then I found this little bit of research, and I thought I would take this, and, and then I found this, and, and, but since I have this conclusion, but it, I, I don't see, it doesn't hold together. It doesn't, it doesn't work. He said, Mr. Werlein, hang on a second. I jotted a few notes down. He, he holds his thing up. He says, now look, and he draws an arrow. He said, what if you move this thought down here? And what if, what if you move this part up here? And then I want you to go back to the library and I want you to look at this resource. It's a pot of gold for what you're going to talk about. You need to go get it. And Mr. Werlein, your assignment's still due tomorrow. <laughs> at 8 a.m. He said, but does this help? I said, yes, sir, it really helps. 
I'm sure the blood by then had flowed back into my face and I had taken notes as fast as I could write them down as fast as he was speaking. And as I stood up to leave and got to the door, he said, Mr. Worling, one more thing. He said, you've got this. You have abilities. I've enjoyed your first three talks. I think you have something there. You've got a good subject and you have much more than you don't have. You were just focusing on what you didn't yet have. Go back to the library and it's going to be great. He said as I walked out, one more thing. Mr. Worling, have fun with this. You have a good subject. It's going to be good. Now he had no idea and I had no idea where my life was headed and that I would be giving talks for the rest of my life for decades to come. But because of what he did, calling forth what he saw in me, even though he didn't know God was going to call me into ministry, and I didn't even know yet because I hadn't had that summer that I told you about a little while ago. Still, the concrete, the first layer of it was being poured into the foundation of the structure that what God was going to build in me. He was an encourager. Encouragers call out others' potential, even when it's still clumsy. Get to people in your lives, graduates, who will do that for you. Be coachable. Let them speak into your life. Let them raise your game to higher levels. So there's one more time we see Barnabas in the book of Acts. Um, and he's uh, this time going to bat for one of his relatives. We think one of his relatives. His name was John Mark. We think he was either a nephew or a cousin of Barnabas. So we're not quite exactly sure. And so you see, Barnabas and uh, Paul had already been on a missionary journey, and they had taken John Mark with them. But it was a rough journey, and when the persecution came and the going got tough, John Mark said, I'm going home to Mama. And so he cut and ran, and he headed back and deserted them. And so several years later, when Paul and Barnabas are, are planning their next missionary journey, Barnabas says, let's give Mark another chance. Let's take him with us. Look what happened in verse, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 38. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. And so they, Paul and Barnabas, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. I guess you could say it was kind of the first church split. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul took Silas and they left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. I don't know what Barnabas said, but I can imagine Barnabas said, Paul, have you forgotten so easily? A few years ago, there wasn't a Christian in the world that was touching you with a 10-foot pole. But I put my arm around you, believed in you, and brought you in. Do you really not want to keep giving him a chance? Let's let God continue the work that was started. Now, who was right? Who was wrong? We don't find out in this scene, but we do find out. Because some years later, 
Paul is going to write a letter to his disciple called Timothy. It's called 2 Timothy. In verse 411, look what he says. He's, he's going to die pretty soon thereafter, Paul is. He says, only Luke is with me, Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is helpful in my ministry. Barnabas had been right. And now Paul knows it. Somewhere along the way, they made amends, and he's realized, Mark, John Mark, is, is not all bad. He helps me in my ministry. He didn't give up on Mark, but he continued to develop him. Moms and dads, that's our job, to continue to develop our young men and women for Christ. Sometimes they'll goof it up. Sometimes they'll be short-sighted. But we don't lose hope. We keep speaking into their lives. Words of hope, words of vision, words of direction. That's what my dad did and my mom uh, when I was at this juncture. I've told this story many times, but you always like it when I tell it. So I'll, I'll close with this one. It's a story of when my dad drove me uh, all the way to Vanderbilt. And I remember we got all moved into my uh, dorm and uh, he had a flight to catch back to Houston several hours uh, later. And so we went out onto the sidewalk and we walked down the sidewalk as we were going to his car. We came to this big oak tree and dad had this piece of gum in his mouth that he was chewing. And conspicuously, he stopped walking by this oak tree and I turned around and he was spitting the gum out and he reached up with his hand and he stuck that gum right up on the top of a branch that he could reach. Just high enough that a tall person like I could see it, but not anybody would ever find it obtrusive. And I said, what are you doing, dad? He said, son, I'm just putting this here to mark a moment. Because I figure you're going to walk this sidewalk fairly frequently. And from time to time, your eyes will hit that tree and that branch. And you'll remember this moment. And what I want you to remember is ultimately who you are and whose you are. You belong to the Lord. You've come a good long ways. But the best is yet to come. And I want you to know how proud your mom and I are of you. And that no matter how good it gets or bad, we're cheering for you. There's a lot of gum stuck on trees around college campuses. And I suppose I'll put a piece myself uh, for Wesley in the coming uh, weeks. Because there's something that we're called to as moms and dads, and that is to cast vision of hope to our graduates, to keep them moving forward, moms and dads. And that's what Barnabas was so good at. What people don't realize about Barnabas is that he helped shape the New Testament. You're like, what book did he write? He didn't write a book. But the Apostle Paul wrote 13. All those letters like Romans and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians. Paul wrote those. 
And then there's a gospel. There's Matthew, Luke, and John, but then the second gospel is called what? Mark, written by none other than John Mark. Who was standing behind both Paul and John Mark the whole time? It was Barnabas, who was breathing courage into them, ushering them in, moving them along, calling them to be exactly who God had created both to be. And that's what we're called to do. Now, young people, you're going to need some Barnabases, but what I want you to realize is that in short time, God's going to turn around and say, it's time for you now to become a Barnabas to other people. And really all that Barnabas was, was a replica in the best of senses of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what did Jesus do? He was always pushing people forward, bringing them in, living the perfect life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we all deserve to die as our punishment so that then he could conquer the grave on the third day. And that's where our hope comes from. And I don't want you to forget it when you get to school and sometimes it'll feel overwhelming and you look to Christ. You realize and remember the ultimate Barnabas, Jesus himself, who goes with you. And then you remember your friends here and your church here and your mom and dad here and other people who love you here. And you know that we're celebrating and we're for you. And we're cheering as you become all that God has created you to be. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for these young men and women. Thank you for the things that you're going to do in their lives. These next years will be very exciting. And uh, I pray, God, you'll make their path straight. Show them uh, which way you want them to go. Give them the grace then to go those directions. Help them to find community quickly. If they go to Christian schools, it'll be even more easy for them. I pray they'll, they'll, they'll even, if not going to Christian schools though, that they'll, that they'll uh, pray about finding the Barnabas and, and that they'll seek out Christian community so that they don't grow colder in their souls, but hotter and that they find some Christian brothers and sisters that they can fellowship with and do Bible study with and grow with and become all that you've created each of them to be. Won't you comfort the parents and, and the other family? Because it is a game changer and it does feel different. And won't you remind us of what our role is as they move into this new season. And we continue to cheer them on and be balcony people for their betterment. Won't you put your blessing on all of them now? We prayed in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.